Don't you love him? Don't you love him? I told you the story before one day. Years ago, I drove a taxi for a living for a while. I picked up a minister with a collar on, you know, and he was getting out of the car, tried to talk about the Lord on the way down. He seemed a bit distant. And getting out, I, he had one leg out, and I put my hand on his arm. And he turned around and looked at me, and I said, do you love him? Do you love him? And he was horrified at me asking him that question. He stammered and he stuttered, didn't answer and got out of the car as quick as he could. Brothers and sisters, this morning, I love him. I'm unashamed to say I love him. And I trust you love him too. Turn with me again to Isaiah 29, please. Isaiah chapter 29. I'm just going to read one verse and then we'll look at some of the chapter, God willing, during this service. Verse 13, please. Isaiah 29, verse 13. Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you gave us your son. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died for us. We thank you for the precious blood which flowed from your veins, which flowed from your riven side. We thank you, Lord, for all that you have accomplished on our behalf and for the glory of your Father. We thank you, Lord, you have not left us alone. As you said, I will come to thee. And you have given us thy blessed Holy Spirit who lives in us, abides in the heart of the believer with the redeemed. And I pray, Father, that you would speak to our hearts. And even if there is one this morning, whether here or watching, listening, Live or later, we pray, Lord, that you would speak to their heart, that they may come to a saving knowledge in your Son, the Lord Jesus. Bless and encourage those who are away today or can't be with us for one reason or another. Heal the sick who are at home, ill and infirm. Comfort those who are in a place of mourning still today. Draw close and draw nigh them. But for us who are here, shut us in with thyself. May thy word find not only a resting place and a lodging place, but may it find, Lord, good ground that it may bear fruit. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.
The removed heart and laboring lips. This is part two. The removed heart and laboring lips. In our verse, the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, notice, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart. They removed their heart. Have removed their heart far from me. Many backsliders would say, oh, it just happened. It doesn't just happen when you backslide. Backsliding starts in the heart. Backsliding starts when you've removed your heart away from God. God has never removed his heart away from the child of God. But rather we can remove our hearts from him and fall away. Even go into the world and some may even be in church. Putting up the pretense and looking the part that say, well, you know, my heart uh, may be away, but no one knows it. And that's true. But eventually it spills out and it comes out in our lifestyle, in our speaking and in our walk, in our talk with God. Notice here what the Lord says. This people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me. Not even just a little bit, but far from me. There's a word in here that we want to just look at briefly before we go any further. It's the word honor me. To honor God. They're saying the right things and they're looking the part, and they're, but their heart is not with me. We should honor God at all times. Not just on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening. But we should be honoring God at all times. We're going to look at some things that you might not believe even or think of that is honoring God. We should honor him with our time. Our time. We spend our times and everything else sometimes but time with God. We should honor him with our time. We should honor him with our talents. After all, he has endued us with them. Sometimes our talents are employed in secular and worldly issues rather than spiritual and scriptural. We should honor God with our bodies, for our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost, and he lives in you. We should also honor God with our finances or with our substance. Some give meagerly to God, stingily to God, And yet we would have gave our all to the devil and to the world before we were saved. We should honor God in our families, in our marriages. In others, we should honor God in our home. And we should honor God in our worship. Worship is not just singing. It's part of it. Worship is our living. And we should honor God in our meeting together. Trust this morning, our hearts have not been far from him, but we have honored him this morning. Last week, if you remember, we looked at quite a bit. We're not going to go over it again, so we're going to move on from that. And I want to just read from where we sort of finished up last week. And it's a quote from Matthew Henry, the Puritan commentator. The prince of the commentators, as he's known. 
And I read it last week. I want to start there this morning again. Matthew Henry looking at Isaiah 29 and seeing how Jerusalem and Judea, or pardon me, Judah, not Judea, Judah at this point, the southern kingdom of Israel, he, the Lord is looking at them and he, he's giving a woe to them, a, a woe of warning even. And here we find that Matthew Henry writes something about their national life, even to their individual life to their leadership of their nation. And I'll quote Matthew Henry. There are many whose religion is lip labor, lip labor only. They say that which expresses an approach to God and an adoration of him, but it is only from the teeth outward. It is only from the teeth outward. They do not make the word of God the rule of their worship, nor his will their reason. They worship the God of Israel, not according to his appointment, but their own inventions. The direction of their false prophets or their idolatrous kings or the usages of the nations round about them. The tradition of the elders was of more value and validity with them than the laws which God commanded Moses. Think about this now. Think about this. You see our nation here. This is a picture of the UK and Ireland, if you want. In the year 2024, 2023 past. Notice even from the monarchy, Israel's monarchy, the throne of David, even to their traditions that they upheld more than the word of God, more than the commandments of the Lord. Everything came before him And they said they honored God, and it was all a facade. It was just a picture. It was just to look good. We are Israel, and we look great. We are Britain, and we can't even say that we look great anymore. Ireland, we cannot say it. Notice here, he says, Matthew Henry says, the tradition of your elders was of more value and validity with them than the laws which God commanded Moses. Will you turn with me to Matthew 15, please? And keeping in mind and marking Isaiah 29. Matthew 15. Now in the interim... From Isaiah 29, the northern kingdom of Israel had been taken away captive. They'd never return again as a nation. And now this is the southern kingdom of Judah. They will be taken away into Babylon for 70 years, and then uh, they are released to come back again to build the second temple in Jerusalem. The second temple, you'll read of Ezra and Nehemiah, and you'll read then of of the post-exilic prophets and brings us right up to that 400 
year gap between the Old and the New Testament. John the Baptist appears on the scene and then the Lord Jesus comes after him for John is making the way before the Master. Matthew 15 and verse 1, the Lord Jesus is speaking. And I want you to keep Isaiah 29 and particularly verse 13 in mind. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees which were of Jerusalem saying, Why do thy disciples transgress? Notice the tradition of the elders. Now I want you to stop there because we read that and don't think about this. This is what Matthew Henry was telling us was happening in Isaiah 29. Is what he was saying. And now, in the days of our Lord, 600 years or so later, it's happening again. It's continued to happen through Babylonian Talmudism comes in. All manner of things they bring out of Babylon and it starts to dilute the Hebraic worship of Judah. Notice here, he says... Why do thy disciples, they say, why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? They were more worried about the tradition of the elders than they were the law of God. For they wash not their hands when they they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandments of God? By your tradition. Now notice what Jesus is saying to these Jewish scribes and Pharisees. They're saying, oh, we're more concerned about the tradition of our elders and your disciples aren't washing their hands. They're breaking the law. Not God's law. Their law. The tradition of the elders' law. But Jesus said, hold on. By your tradition, you're breaking God's law. God's law trumps your law. My brothers and sisters, in the years that we have come through and passed through and recently, we also need to look at this because God's law must always, God's word must always trump the word of those who are in power. Always whether that be religious hierarchy or whether that be in government hierarchy. God's word must always be held up, always be adhered to before the law of man. Notice what the Lord Jesus goes on to say. Why do you transgress the commandments of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he curse he that curseth father and mother or mother, let him die to death. Notice, but ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, it is a gift by whatsoever thou mayest be profited by me. And honour not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. In other words, in a nutshell, if uh, if the father and mother are in need and God's, God's law is to honor your father and mother and the father and mother are in need, that son was to make sure they were not in need. But they were taught by tradition, oh, say everything's for the temple. Say everything 
I am excluded from this. They were taught this by a tradition, so they didn't even look after their parents. And it was honor thy father and thy mother. So Jesus is saying, you're breaking the law and you're teaching them also to do so. Notice what he says in verse 7. Ye hypocrites. That's not very Christian of you. That's not very Christ-like. Well, that was Jesus said it. Jesus said that. Ye hypocrites. Notice, well did Isaiah, or Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draw nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. The Lord Jesus is saying, The prophecy of Isaiah 29 and verse 13 in particular speaks of you today. It spoke of Judah then, and it speaks of the Jews, he said, in his day. So you can see how sometimes a prophecy can have a a twofold fulfillment. For it was to Judah at that time, and then it's to the Jews at this time. But look at verse 9. But in vain do they worship me. The pastor said it around the table this morning, the slaying of the animals and the doves and the the bulls and the goats and the sheep and the little lambs and all that sort of stuff, he said. It's all done away with in Christ. He's the final sacrifice. His blood is sufficient. And they were continuing on to do this. And he says, but in vain do they worship me. For the doctrines for doctrines, the commandments of men. So you can see, even in our Lord's day, this is happening. And it's happening in our nation again today. And it's happening in individual hearts. And it's happening in what we should have as a settled and established religion of the Reformed faith today. It's happening in the monarchy. It's happening in government. It's all pomp and ceremony and it comes to nothing. And so we must always remember God's word must always trump the commandments of men. I'm not saying that we are to be unruly. And I'm not saying that you and I are to go outside and cause havoc or break the law. But when they come to encroach in our worship against God's word, then that is for us as believers to put God first. And by doing so, brothers and sisters, guess what you're doing? You're honoring God. You're worshiping him. Worship isn't all about singing. You're worshiping him. And when you do that every day, no matter what it is, even if it's a, a family issue or whether it's something in your workplace or society, wherever it may be, and you put his word first above all others and above all else, it doesn't matter what they're commanding of you, it is you honoring, but it is you worshiping. Worshiping God through his word. Can you turn with me please to Acts chapter 5? 
Acts chapter 5. If you will, let your eye run right down. Just for time's sake, I'm going to say that the apostles were uh, preaching the word of God and they were upsetting the, the people in the town square, as it were. Today, so don't upset the people. Just, you know, you don't need to preach. You don't need to teach. You don't need to call out. You don't need to... To, to reach people in that way by going out even and preaching in the street. Well, brothers and sisters, the early church went out. That's what they'd done. And here they are arrested. And they're told that they shouldn't speak in the name of Jesus again. Look at verse 29 of Acts chapter 5. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, this is when the Jews had them arrested, answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Do you read that in your New Testament? Hello? He's all still there, all right. <laughs> Do you read that in your New Testament? So that's not just an Old Testament scripture then. We ought to obey God rather than men. Now look at the next verse. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew, and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a saviour, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things. By the way, that's not the Jehovah's Witnesses. These are the redeemed Israel Witnesses. Notice this. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. Now, the apostles were witnesses of these things. Who else is a witness? The Holy Ghost. Peter believed that wherever he was, whatever he preached, whatever he'd done, even when he upset society, even whenever the uh, even with the, the elders of society and those up in high echelons that they weren't up in, they're, they're just fishermen. Even when they were against them, Peter was aware that not only were the disciples witnesses of all of Christ and all that he has done and his resurrection, but Peter was aware that the Holy Ghost seen it. Says the Holy Ghost, he's a witness. Now, here's the thing, brothers and sisters. When we are put in a position or a place, wherever it may be, and God is not honored, God is not revered, Christ is not taken first place, who else is witnessing that? The Bible says the Holy Ghost witnesses it. Even when we close our doors, even when you're on your own. Holy Ghost witnesses it. Look, brothers and sisters, the apostles were arrested under the order of the high priest in Jerusalem, along with the orders of the Sadducees. 
being filled with indignation, we're told. Being filled with indignation. Let me tell you about these Pharisees. We always hear, or pardon me, Sadducees. For we always hear about the Pharisees. And you tell me if some of this isn't running through much of uh, church circles even today. They didn't believe in the oral law, but they did believe in the written law. Let me briefly tell you, because I don't want to go too much into this. This would take a meeting on its own. For example, the written law, for example, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And then goes on to say, that to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and bring up your children in the way. I'm paraphrasing. And it says that they are to bind, we're to bind his word on our eyelids and on our arms, as it were, write it on or bind it on. That's the written law. So they say, here's the written law, must be done. But the oral law told you how to do it. How to do it. In other words, they believed that God must have spoke to these other people to tell them, how do we bind the law? And so what they do, Jews do it today, they, they have what's known as a telephim, or if you want, they, a phylactery, as the Lord Jesus says. You make broad your phylacteries. And you get a little leather box, and they write some scripture, and they roll it up tight, and they put it in the little box, and they put one on their forehead and tie it to their forehead with a leather strap. Then they put one in a little box to the back of their hand and they strap it up their arm, their hand and their forehead. When you go into the book of Revelation, I'm not going to touch this today, it talks about receiving the mark of the beast. And everybody's trying to guess what was this, what was that, what was the other. Listen, brothers and sisters, that's the right hand of fellowship. And that's ascending to their thoughts. That's coming down to their level, the thoughts. It also says we receive God's name in our forehead. Not going to write a big name, say G-O-D across there, is it? Or Y-H-W for Yahweh. God's not going to do that. Or Jesus across, or Yeshua across. No. Means they're taking on the mental capacity and coming into fellowship with the beast system outside. And it starts from something like Deuteronomy 6, where this has been twisted. If you take note here, the oral law was how you do it, so that's how you do it. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the body. The Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe in the resurrection either of the body. The Sadducees didn't believe in the immortality of the soul. The Sadducees didn't believe in the existence of other spirits, as in demon or demonic spirits, or did they believe in the existence of angels? Yet we read of angels the whole way through the Scripture. Sadducees put it all out. The Sadducees didn't believe in divine predestination either but they believed in man's free human will. You see, they were filled with indignation 
at these apostles. And the word indignation is the word zealous, or zealous, which is where we get a zealot from. They were so zealous against these men. Peter and the apostles were preaching Jesus. Now notice, out of all of that, what we're talking about here, of these Sadducees, Peter and the apostles preached Jesus unto them. They preached and they cast out demon spirits. And they were preaching about the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were preaching about the Holy Spirit, which they didn't believe in. And they preached election. Ye men of Israel, says Peter. So, brothers and sisters, we can see why they were so mad at Peter and the apostles, filled with indignation. They wanted them out of the road. Now, if that was you or I, we might sit and think, maybe we shouldn't rock the boat. And many are thinking like that. Many shouldn't rock the boat. And I don't want to go down. I'm thinking about doing something about this on whenever I know a bit more. But, brothers and sisters, their stuff is going to start coming in 2024, and we need to be prepared. You need to be built up in your faith. They're even talking about now, the next one of the WHO is starting to talk about a water crisis and shut all our water off. Have you ever been to Ireland recently, WHO, talking about water crisis? <coughs> If you did believe in evolution, we'd have gills behind our ears by now. So this is the backdrop to Acts 5. Peter and the apostles or the disciples says, we ought to obey God rather than men. Now listen. This is what I've written. The apostles' response to the council was not a defense. He's not given a defense. That's all. Let's put it out and hold it tight. It's a defense. The apostles' response to the council was not a defense, nor was it a plea for mercy from them. No. It was a declaration and a demonstration of Holy Spirit unction. An explanation of action with a boneless birth from God. They weren't saying one thing and meaning another. Their lips weren't preaching Christ and then keeping quiet when things got real. Their mouths weren't worshipping God and their hearts weren't in it as they were removed far away from Him. No, no. They were worshipping Him with their obedience. People think worship is... Let's go absolutely daft until they get to the point where they're clucking like chickens and barking like dogs and going mad with it. It's not worship. That's not worship. Obedience is worship. This people have honored me with their lips, but their heart's far from me. They have taken their heart. Worship is found in obedience. Obedience sometimes can be hard and difficult. Their heart wasn't in it. They were saved, you see. 
want to say it again, brothers and sisters, about these apostles, about Peter and the disciples. You know why they said we ought to obey God rather than men? Whenever they preached everything that the Sadducees were against, or even almost everything, because they were saved. Because they were saved. Well, if you were a good Christian, you would just do what what big government told you to do. I had peace. Peace loving. I live peaceably with all men as, as much as I possibly can, and I will continue to do so. I'm a peaceful man. I'm law abiding as long as it's a just law. Oh, Romans 13 tells us that we're to submit. Oh, so then submit to the murder of the unborn. Come on, Christian, think about this. Submit to the murder of the unborn. Submit to the pornographic nature of what your children are being fed in their schools. Submit to that. Submit to every Christless and godless law that they're making today. Submit to it. We must render under Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but unto God the things that are God's. Honor God. Not just say, oh yes, I know. Look, there's men being in pulpits for years. And when this happens, we're going to do this. And when that happens, we're going to go here. When that happens, we're going to take our stand. And next thing, it was shut your church and we went, okay, can you pay us for it? And some of them received money to keep it closed. See, you can honor with your lips all you want. But when the rubber hits the road, where will you stand? That's sobering this morning, isn't it? It was a bit more individually challenging last week, wasn't it? Sometimes even a little bit encouraging, edifying. This morning it's, wow, sobering. Peter and the disciples, their heart was in it because they were saved. Because they were saved and they were baptized in the Holy Ghost. And so their obedience to God was honoring God. Notice, their obedience to God was honoring God. And that is worship. Every time God places his finger in your heart, brother, sister. Every time God points something out to you. And it may be something you love, something you don't want to part with, something you don't want to give up, something you don't want to do. And God's fingers on you, saying, this is it, this is what. And oh, but we don't want to do that. Brothers and sisters, see when you release that over to God, that's worship. You're saying, you mean more to me than everything else, Lord. You mean more to me than whatever that other thing is. So turn with me to Isaiah 29 as we round this up this morning. 
Let's go to verse 1, please. Verse 1. Notice the start of this. Woe to Ariel, to Ariel, the city where David dwelt. Ah, ye year to year, let them kill sacrifices. Yet will I distress Ariel, and there shall be heaviness and sorrow, and it shall be unto me as Ariel. And what is God speaking about here? Ariel is Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And God's saying, yep, year after year, you're bringing forth your sacrifice, Jerusalem. Year after year, you're giving me lip service, Jerusalem and Judah. Year after year, you're coming before me with it all, and you're giving me the blood. And year after year, you're saying, this is how we're going to walk before the Lord. And year after year, this, that, and the other. And you never change. You never repent. Your, your monarchy is corrupt. Your religious establishment is corrupt. And your laws are made by men. Sound familiar? You see, Ariel means lion of God, lion of God, L-I-O-N, lion of God. Some translator says it can also mean lioness of God in the feminine gender, lioness of God. And the reason being, you see, is I think of how this lion of Judah, this wonderful southern kingdom who went well after the northern kingdom were dispersed and gone and on their migratory track. And I think of this southern kingdom with the monarchy there and the religious establishment there all going well before God and it just falls down around them because they had removed their heart. They're saying the right things and they removed their heart. That can be our hearts, can't it? That can be all of us at times. But this is in a lengthy period of time. A lengthy period of time. Reminds me of the British lion. It's toothless. It's toothless. Sometimes I wonder, you know, Britain's over there and they're bombing the Houthis at the minute. They're talking about going over to do it again. And they're saying, I don't even know if I have a capability to go and do it and still protect our own shores. <laughs> when did they start worrying about protecting our own shores? Did you go over and bomb the Houthis and remove the European, U- European Union's illegal border between us and the mainland? They care more for that than they do for us. Ariel, the lion, or the lioness of God, and with the throne of David, and it makes me think of how in Exodus 19, and we haven't time to turn to it, but if you want to write it down and read it later, Exodus 19, Israel married Jehovah or Yahweh at Mount Sinai. Moses is the officiator. 
God says, if you will, he will. God says, if, if you take him, as it were, as your God, and believe and walk and so on in his ways, then he will be your God. They say all these things we'll do. I'm just paraphrasing. And so Moses is the wedding officiator, and the two of them are married. Three days later, God comes down upon the mount, tells them, be prepared and make sure you cleanse out the camp because I'm coming down. And he consummates the marriage with Israel. He consummates a marriage. And they're covenanted onto him there. And then time goes on and we know that uh, the, the wife of Jehovah becomes adulterous by going after the people, going after other gods. And this is what's happening here. Going after other things. But it also speaks of if, if, if Jerusalem is the lioness, and God is the lion of the tribe of Judah, so to speak, through Christ. It also makes me think then in Hebrews chapter 12, it speaks of the new Jerusalem of you and I who are now redeemed through the blood of Christ. The new Jerusalem is you and I. And we are to be married, the lioness, as it were, of God, the bride of Christ. Married to the land of Judah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Ariel also, I'm told, means fire, F-I-R-E, or altar, A-L-T-A-R. And it actually stands for the word hearth. You know, you get your fire and you go to clean your, your, your fire in the hearth. And all the ashes are there. Well, this word, this word for Ariel, it, it, it's found again in the book of... Ezekiel, and it, it talks about the, uh, where the ashes were burnt in the tabernacle, the four corners, and the ashes fell through the burnt offering, and that was the hearth underneath. I was thinking about this, and how it would burn, and the ashes would come down. They were to keep the fire lit and clean out the ashes. Just keep the fire lit, clean out the ashes. And it speaks of a continual burning of our hearts. But the altar itself, it speaks of sacrifice and a full, complete yielding to God. The animal was sacrificed and now this is the, the finish of it here. It speaks of the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and his full and complete yielding of his will to the Father's will, carrying out the Father's word, fulfilling all that the Father had promised. So, honoring God is not just singing. By all means, in everything, honor God. It's not just singing, but it's in obedience to God, to his word. Being hearers and doers of the word. And that's worship. That is worship. Draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto thee, James tells us. Say this, and that's me. You let the children know they come up, because I'm finished now. We said one time, and if you get the meaning of it, it's not, it's not deep and theological-like. It's just a simple thought. 
Someone once says, religion. I would say religion as in well, you're being in a meeting with your heart far away from God. So let's put it like that. But religion is sitting in church thinking about fishing. Hope that's not you, Ian Davison. <laughs> religion is sitting in church thinking about fishing. Relationship is when you're sitting fishing thinking about God. Relationship is when you're sitting fishing thinking about God. In other words, he's always on your mind. You're communing with him. Your heart is for him. Your heart is with him. Listen, you can, you can commune with God in the car. I do. Every time I'm in the car on my own, up and down from here. I just talk to the Lord on the way home from here. I'll talk to him on the way up again. I talk to the Lord in the shore. I talk to the Lord when I'm getting dressed. I talk to the Lord when I'm out walking my good old faithful dog. I talk to the Lord when I'm on my own all the time. I talk to the Lord if I'm in the living room and there's nobody there. Sometimes even when they are there. Many, it's quite a while now, like many years ago, but I remember one time I was in the car and I was just thinking about the Lord. My heart was caught up with him. My heart was just taken over in love with him. My heart was caught up with him. And I just said out loud, you know I love you. And Alison was in the car. And she looked at me all starry-eyed. She says, oh, what love? And I went, I was talking to the Lord. And then I realized I put my foot in it. Brothers and sisters, let him catch you up. Jeremiah Burroughs, the old Puritan, says, no, pardon me, Samuel Rutherford, the old Puritan said, since he hath looked at me, notice, since he hath looked at me, my heart is not my own, for he hath run away to heaven with it. Let Christ run away with your heart. Take it to heaven. It'll change your life. God bless you all this morning. Thank you for your attention and your attendance. It's great to see you.